0: Thank you for listening to Mailbox Money, your guided tour through safe, sacred, and speculative investing with a plan and a purpose to do more good with newfound
1: peace of mind. All right, welcome to Mailbox Money. My name is Ryan Kruger, and I am joined by my partner and my good buddy, Jackson Wood, from Texas to Idaho to all of our friends all over the country, and we hope we meet some new ones sharing some ideas right here. I was recently asked, Jackson, a hard question if there was one piece of advice. I hope this doesn't diminish all the other episodes. (laughs) If there was (laughs) one piece of advice that when you look back, and I started in 1996, as a professional money manager, what would the one piece of advice be that has made the biggest difference? And after a lot of thought, and we wanted to share a couple of real life examples on this episode that I think are hiding in plain sight, which is one of the reasons to make it not only a secret, but also much more accessible than people realize, which I get excited about sharing. That piece of advice would be the most successful people that I've studied and watched and were privileged to work for a lot of them They are playing the long game. And that is not to be confused with the old investment answer to any question that advisors say, just hang in there, which is their lazy way of saying, I hope you don't call back for a little while. Uh, (laughs) No, I've told people to fire us if we ever tell them to just hang in there. I mean many more things in a lot of different dimensions that we're going to chop up today when I say play the long game, which also, by the way, includes fierce cell disciplines and active work it's not just waiting, um, but playing the long game. And if you could add a little bit of gasoline to that fire with my close second answer to that question would be to attack every day with a relentless enthusiasm, unknown to mankind. I think both of those patience and there's a little bit of joy of missing out. Jomo is our mascot for that, along with the relentless enthusiasm. If you combine those two, the long game can be magic.
0: And I, th- I think it's important to, to notice, and you hit on this briefly, the long game in investing, You know, picking your investments, knowing where to invest, understanding what you're holding for the long run, why you're holding it, playing the long game there. But then also on the personal side with your personal finances, playing the long game there, it's equally powerful on both sides of that conversation. And something that is under discussed, underrated, but today I think we're gonna chop it up and make you know, let everybody clue them into what, what it is exactly we're talking about on both sides of that discussion.
1: Yeah, and and I, I do think that humility and grit are the common themes here today for this recipe. And if you're wondering, are we talking about stocks or are we talking about people? The answer is yes. Both. <laughs> right. And here we go. I was reminded recently when I started in ninety-six and was surrounded by the most exciting, the best ideas. And by the way, full confession, I was guilty also of being distracted by this early on. I don't think it's impossible not to be. And that's what we hope this this show and opening our playbook and all of our experiences, wins and losses, could be an antidote to some of those themes. As I like to say, the antonym of theme, if you look it up, one of them is truth. When I started... Everybody wanted to chase and find those rocket ships that were the proverbial 10 bagger, right? Where a stock could go up, not 100%, that would be a double, but a 10 bagger would be 1,000%. If you could find one of those in your career, it would make your career. And they're still the most popular ideas and talking points, all the shiny objects that people are looking for and dedicating their careers to and distracting some of their lives for. And I just wondered and have learned if I could share one thing and looking back since then, away from the crowds, there might be some folks that are picking up dirty objects and cleaning them that might be better than the shiny objects. Um, And I learned from some of these much less popular ideas, hiding in plain sight all around us, often not in those fancy cufflinks like I was around on Wall Street, (laughs) often in dirty old uniforms. Um, So here's an example that I was reminded of um, recently when they paid a 20% dividend raise to their stakeholders. Um, I just am a sucker for history and the origin stories of some of these big successful companies because a lot of them started out as anything but. Um, There's a couple named Doc and Amelia Farmer. They were circus performers. So as we have in our house, a lot of the most creative, I want to chase the rocket ship dreams, and we don't ever want to stop that, right? Those are great. Um, So these were true creative geniuses in the circus, and their pictures of them are great. Um, And I was struck by their story as the circus was shut down in a bad economy, and The lessons all along the way here, in my opinion, as I've looked back, it's never going to be a good or bad economy that a lot of investors are incorrectly hoping for, waiting for, reading way too many headlines about. Um, They're out of business. They're out of work. And so desperate, Doc and Amelia started collecting dirty old rags that factories that were shut down had thrown away. They cleaned them. They sold them back to the few businesses that survived. And all of a sudden they had their own little bitty business. They were wiped out by a flood as soon as they had their first facility that was cleaning these towels and rags. They moved, they pivoted, they started over again, they had a new facility. They started it up, they were doing okay, got wiped out by a fire. They added uniforms to the cleaning of the towels the next time around. They're a great example. And I think about this almost every day with some of my favorite businessmen and women to this day. What are people doing just out of the spotlight, away from the headlines? And the secret I try to talk to my kids about, Jackson, is oftentimes what is that nobody else would even be willing to do? Kind of you know, the old, yeah. when we were growing up, we say, I got dibs. I want to be first in line for that. I got dibs. Dibs to me now means what is dirty, an involuntary <laughs> purchase, a beautifully boring business that oftentimes is pretty sweaty. Um, those humble, greedy companies that are not attracting crowds, um, looking for 10 baggers, those rocket ships. That couple, that little company, since I started just in 96, it's a 100-year-old business, cleaning uniforms and towels is now a 30-bagger, a little better than a 10, the exact opposite of the rocket ships, and there are more of them than rockets.
0: I I love that because just the image of, like, a rocket ship, and, and we're not picking on a specific company, but, you know, they're all over the headlines. They're making news. You know what you can really look at is and we talked about this um in depth in the last episode when you look at the fundamentals of the company you can see where they start to improve so if you look at something as beautifully boring as cleaning uniforms or cleaning rags the best thing about you know the modern economy is these numbers are made public and they're audited and they're transparent so with a little bit of homework magnifying glass and like you always say a pencil in the back of an envelope you can start to see mathematically the rocket ship take off in these beautifully boring companies and to see a 20% increase in, in, in the dividend uh, in the middle of, you know, uh, horrific news articles, recessions and whatever rate hikes. To me, it's, it, it just, you got to roll your sleeves up. You might not be clean and dirty rags and, operating a facility, but just rolling your sleeves up a little bit and looking at these companies that you own, they're out there and they will continue to be out there. And the ones that don't attract
1: the crowds are where
0: we're going to start to look first.
1: And I, I want this, the goal of this episode, with whether it be a business, we're going to talk about some people, is I know I was guilty also early in my career of thinking, just play the long game sounds intimidating and not very accessible and heaven forbid you're listening to this and you feel like it's too late for you to play the long game in both of those instances whether you're young and told to be aggressive and look for the rocket ships or you may be a little bit older and worried that you got to make a lot more to catch up i really do think in both cases you take a step back and realize the best most wild success stories at any age, are still playing the long game with that joy of missing out and focused on their craft. I want to give a couple examples. One, the most popular individual rocket ship that everybody fawns over is stock picks, or Warren Buffett. Um, we'll let you share a couple of things that stood out in a very, very different, uncrowded way to you, and then introduce you to probably a much more accessible version closer to all of us than Warren might ever be. Um, we'll talk about a couple of my favorites, a guy named Earl and Ron, but Buffett first.
0: Yeah, so it's no secret that Buffett is the all-time best investor, if not in the conversation of the top three of all time. And when you think about Buffett and, and you don't understand the guy, you know, you would think he's living in some high rise, you know, placing all these very sophisticated trades and, you know, just kind of the image of someone, you know, at the top of the financial world. The reality is this guy still owns the same home that he purchased in 1958. Um, he, in Omaha, he eats at McDonald's, which is, you know, kind of funny. One of the world's richest, the one of the richest people that ever exist, to ever live eats at McDonald's, I wouldn't recommend it following his dietary advice, but he's the definition of, of playing the long game. And one of the most mind-boggling stats about Warren Buffett is that 99% of his net worth, currently in the billions, I mean, 60 billion, I have to get the exact number, but I mean, the top 10, one of the richest guys in the world. 99% of that wealth came after age 50 right? So he had already built Berkshire Hathaway. He was already all over the news. He was already one of the most respected figures in in financial history, yet 99% of his net worth came after the age of 50. And so when we look at Buffett as, you know, people are paying a million dollars to go to lunch with this guy and pick his brain for an hour, he's the definition of grit, hard work, patience, persistence, and also not letting kind of the ego Get to his head because there's a video on youtube you can you can watch this it's one of the most fascinating things i've got his book just over there right in, when you walk in my my uh in my office all of his quarterly letters that he writes but um there's a video of him he goes out to dinner and you know you think okay billionaire is going to be you know just flanked by security guards and maybe he'll take his helicopter drives this old ford you know, not a Crown Vic, but some something like that. Maybe it's a Buick, I think he may be upgraded to a Buick. Goes to this diner, orders hash browns and a T bone steak, if the market is doing well. If not, he'll just go home and probably make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and drink a you know a cherry coke. But he's when we look at him, I, I think the story um we get distracted by looking at his success with investment, you know, stock selection and all that. But the real story and the powerful thing is He just stuck to it and he just did the did the hard work, rolled up his sleeves, and now he's enjoying the dividends and the results of that over the course of his entire career. And to me, that's just a a really powerful example and something that, you know, a lesson that we can take aside from the stock picks and the investment component is just the grit and the determination that he has to really stick to the process and play the long game.
1: Humility of the lesson there. And I think people that roll their eyes while he's rolling up his sleeves, and a lot of others like him, and, and a lot more humble examples we're about to share too, that are a lot more accessible. Um, you know, if you're rolling your eyes or thinking it's going to be different, and I wish I was born at the right time, or he had different market and different stuff, you know, the good old days, I, I would strongly suggest, and it's just my mental hack, every time you hear the good old days with some wishful thinking that it's not gonna be repeated. Just realize and think and get excited, in my opinion, about knowing somebody right now is creating better new days, and it's a fact. Um, give you a couple more simple examples. Um, but I do think that's that's the key, and that's why these secrets are hiding in plain sight, that's why it feels so inac- inaccessible, is everybody's either too nostalgic, wishing they could hit the rewind button, or feverishly trying to mash the fast forward button and get there faster and not just willing to enjoy the steak and hash browns right now, smiling at all the other people looking at him. Isn't that bad for you? Shouldn't you be doing that? He's just busy doing what he does. Um, yeah. And a couple of other examples to prove that it's not a good or bad economy. It's about good or bad choices at any age. And it's never too late to start playing the long game. If you haven't adopted this, um, the age of 44, 47, 50, and 51, those were the founder's age when they each started their own little companies. Shops we now know as Walmart, Costco, Home Depot, and Starbucks. Next time you hear good old days, wonder or be one of the guys or gals solving a problem, grabbing something that nobody else wants to touch. It's not a shiny object, perhaps, and making better new days. I want to give two examples of folks that, that mean a lot to me that I, I learned from. Um, one of them gave the, some of the best advice of all. It's who you listen to. Um, Earl... Crawley proving it's not only not a good a better economy, but yeah, some people are just too lucky. That's why I can't hit the rewind button. I can't do it over again to make this investment game more accessible than Warren Buffett ever could. So Earl's childhood was spent in an orphanage for a large part, and the rest of it spent growing up poor. He also had the additional bad luck of being dyslexic. He said, I was always put in the slow kids class, but, and I quote, Earl said, but God gave me the gift and the ability to listen. So Earl worked in a parking lot as an attendant for $12 an hour and never made more than $20,000 a year. Earl started saving with a couple of savings bonds, and then the rest of it was always in dividend-paying stocks, which he reinvested. And he said it, he did it, and his plan was I just nickel and dimed it. And there's a lot of contrast. The other example, some people painfully save, and I think miss out on some of life's joys and the fruits of the labor. We've talked about that a lot on this episode. That's not what this is about. This is about success at any age. Freedom Day is not about saving all gratifications. He actually paid for his own home Debt-free sent three kids through private Catholic school on that salary. And still, when he passed, had enough dividend-paying stocks to have amassed a nest egg of $600,000, which he gave away and started an investment club at his church.
0: I love that story. And I'm reminded of, I can't remember which high-profile, high-flying CEO it was, um, it's the guy, you'll tell me, it's the guy that owns Lanai in Hawaii, started a cloud computing company.
1: Um, you, you, you didn't take me to Hawaii the last couple of times you've been. I'm not sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I got to thank my grandparents for their condo there. Uh, I'm too cheap to, to go there. If I got to pay the full price. Um, but he said, you know, I was born with every disadvantage I needed to succeed. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to interject a, a really quick personal example that I think will resonate uh, and, and maybe make some people laugh. So, I'm 24, 25 years old. I've been working out. I've been trying to get healthy. You know, built a little bit of muscle on my lanky, you know, skinny body. And I'm starting to get tired of going to the gym. So I get this idea, like, I think I'm going to try something new. I'm going to go to jujitsu. I'm going to go try my hand at Brazilian jujitsu. So I walk into the gym the first night and I start eyeing up, you know, looking at the people and, you know, they're smaller than me. I got 30, 40 pounds on them. I think, oh, this is going to be fun. I'm going to rise through the ranks pretty quickly at jujitsu. In jujitsu, you do this thing called rolling, where you basically just mock fight everybody at the end of the class, you know, and it's an hour, an hour and a half. After I got done rolling, as the biggest person, and I'm not super huge, but as the biggest person in class that night, I was the, I was humbled faster than I have ever been humbled in my entire life. I went home, filled the bathtub, which I I don't like taking baths. I filled that thing with two bags of Epsom salt. And I realized like, I got demolished by the instructor's wife. I I lasted like 30 seconds before she choked me out. And so I had this like, really big dose of humility. And uh, I kept going. I didn't give up. I kept going. I stuck to it. You know, I, I got stripes on my white belt. I got to the next belt, got some stripes there. And it took me four years of constant rolling and constant humiliation before I one time, and I've still only got it one time, I tapped out the black belt instructor. I got him with this beautiful baseball bat choke. And I think he must have been distracted when I got him. Because then the next, like, 15 times after that we, we fought, he, you know, he didn't even go easy at all. And I've never him, tapped him since, probably never will. But in my mind, like, yeah, that, it's kind of a silly story. But in my mind, you know, I started to see, after years of dedication, a glimmer of hope. And I could start, you know, anybody that was newer than me, I could tap them out. And I, I could start to see the steps on the ladder that I needed to take to become, you know, a somewhat decent, you know, jiu practitioner or whatever. And I just love those ideas of, of, you know, I started with every disadvantage I needed to succeed. I nickel and dimed my way to success. And to me, another uh, client story that resonates with me are teachers, right? Teachers, police officers, firefighters. And they're not going to be compensated like a high-profile attorney or a doctor. And, and oftentimes that can be seen as a disadvantage. But I have, I have met with countless teachers when we crunch the numbers, when we look at their one-page financial plan that we build for them, they have more income, more freedom that, than they will ever need simply because they never gave up. And those seemingly small contributions that they can make into their, you know, 403B or their IRA every month, they add up and it compounds. And the dedication, the grit, the determination that they have exemplified throughout their entire life has resulted in them being able to make decisions that they probably couldn't have ever contemplated in their 30s starting their career. But now they're free to travel. They're free to give money. They're free to start a foundation in their 50s and in their 60s. And, and to me, that's just the spirit of this entire conversation of not giving up. Even when you look at the company side, understanding what's happening, those incremental improvements over time turn into tremendous long-term
1: results. Hey, and that's part of what mailbox money is to us right? This is not about investment recommendations. I've said it many times. The greatest trick the devil ever played on investors is making them think it's the investment part that matters the most. The greatest ROI you'll have is on your craft, period. Plain and simple. That's from two guys in an industry that's supposed to tell you it's all about the investment and the planning. It starts with the work part Um, and the mailbox money, the magic of some of those numbers, not only accessible to anybody, but it, starts slowly and then it adds up remarkably and wildly fast. Um, that the, A lot of times those big millionaire doctors or attorneys looking down their nose and wondering how the, that poor old teacher is going to survive and then in retirement wishing they would give their right arm to have the teacher's retirement. Well, sometimes I've seen teachers and other folks look down their nose at the janitor and wonder how they're going to survive, and oh my gosh, I feel sorry for them too, but boy, there's some advantages and discomfort. So old Ron, the last guy I want to tell you about was a lifelong janitor, and he invested all of his spare time, as we, again, this isn't good or bad economy, good or bad choices, at the local library, where it was reported that he would always leave with a stack of books, and they would always be different. Um. After He passed, really is the only time people learned about the other side of of Ron, his attorney, um, walking him to the car the very last time when his health was in decline. um, Well, first she asked him, can I walk you to the car? And he said, only if you do not bill me. So, so choices and questions, I'm guessing he asked a lot of good ones along the way to save himself some money and how we, you're working as a janitor, you have to take good care of your money. She said, I, I never knew how much money he had. Um, but she did say the only time it ever came up, he, he, he told her, this only secret, what he learned in that library, um, which he never said he read a book on investing. He was reading on different subjects and companies and he goes, all I did was avoid companies I couldn't understand. And then with a couple of bucks, I bought companies I did understand, and I reinvested the dividends. Um, when he passed away, he donated a million dollars to that library, another five million to the hospital that took care of him at the end, and he had accumulated a nest egg on a janitor's salary with dividend-paying stocks of $8 million, playing the long game, accessible to anybody the magic of mailbox money and being relentlessly enthusiastic and dare I say curious too. That that that's the other wild card that you're never convinced. You're always curious. I would guess they had in common. Um, and I think we could take a page from their playbook, maybe even more accessibly than Warren Buffett's, although they're both shining examples, in my opinion, of the same thing. They were playing the long game and they never stopped playing the long game. It's
0: fantastic. And and just so everybody listening knows, we would love to answer your questions, help you set yourself up to play the long game. If you have any desire at all to reach out and talk with us, you can visit our website, team at freedomdaysolutions.com. You can shoot us an email that automatically pops into both of our inboxes, uh, team at Freedom Day Solutions, and we will see you next week this show is brought to you by freedom day solutions llc a registered investment advisory firm advising individuals and families nationwide performance is not guaranteed and past results are not necessarily indicative of future performance to learn more visit freedomdaysolutions.com this show contains general information that is not suitable for everyone and was shared for informational purposes only any forward-looking statement or opinion expressed is subject to change without notice nothing contained herein constitutes investment legal tax or other advice nor is it to be relied on in making investment or other decisions. Clients of Freedom Day Solutions may hold positions in the securities discussed.